1 John 5, 13 through 17. This is God's holy word. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Thus far, God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Thanks be to God. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll help us now to understand the Scriptures. Help us to see where we fit in to what you have to say, and then by your grace and the help of your Spirit to live our lives according to what is written. We pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer through Jesus Christ. Amen. This uh, section, verses 13 through 17 of chapter 5, brings before us the, the privilege and the power of prayer. It's not correct, you hear this said sometimes, but it's not correct to say that God never hears the prayer of unbelievers. But uh, the Lord makes no promise to honor their prayers, whereas He does promise this to believers. For example, in uh, John chapter 14, verse 14, it says, If you ask me anything, or if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then also, uh, John 16, verse 23, In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, He will give it to you. So we do have these promises uh, for believers. And uh, if any unbeliever does cry out to the Lord, again, he has no guarantee of any attention to that from the Lord, but... It may please the Lord nevertheless to answer that for reasons that He has in order to bring the person closer to Him. But we're speaking now to those who are particularly in the Lord's people, among them, part of them. My points today are these. We're going to talk about what it means that there are things written and how that relates to prayer, prayer and the Bible, let us say. And then we'll talk about confidence in His will, the book of God's revealed will, the Bible. Uh, having whatever we ask is our third point, having what God wants us to have. Fourthly, asking grace for sinners, making the brethren a priority. And finally, the strange exception there's some things we're told that are not recommended that we pray for. 
Okay, we'll come to those then as we go along here. The first thing is things written or prayer and the Bible. Now, only those who believe in Christ and who are confident in the Word of God have a right to take hold of these promises that are written in the Bible. That is to say that uh, because the Bible points to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and because it's so important that we take that promise first, we can also take all other promises having grasped that one. If we have a Savior, if we have the one who's himself called the Word, then we have a right to ask for anything that's promised in the Bible, uh, given the context, given the situation as it's presented when those promises are made. The person who believes the Bible, that is the things written, and pray as the Bible informs him, is likely to receive those things that uh, are asked for. Again, from the passage, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's the Bible then, the things that are written. Uh, Yes, here written by John, but written also by all the apostles and prophets. Those things are that to which we should give our attention as we come to prayer, as we seek what God offers to us. In other words, we don't make up things in our minds. Well, uh, I think I should have this, or I think this would be the best situation. That may or may not uh, be the case, but the fact is you can only rely on what you have in the Bible. The Bible is the revealed will of God. And anything that's promised in the context of that will of God is ours to ask for. Now somebody will say, well, I asked for such and such and I didn't get it. Well, in the last analysis, God has the concluding word. God tells us what He wants us to have. Whatever we ask for always fits a set of scriptural circumstances. And let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. For example, uh, Jesus was walking along the road and uh, there was a blind man sitting by the road and that blind man cried out, Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. Well, you can ask God for mercy in that context, you see, that, uh, that the Lord would grant healing or grant finances or, or grant whatever we lack because of His mercy. You can always ask God for His mercy and God will answer that. Then uh, another thing would be to ask him for a particular uh, material thing. Now I'm thinking of the day that Peter came to uh, Jesus and uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now what he said. But he said, Lord, it's time for us to pay the temple tax. Uh, what are we going to use for money? How are we going to pay the temple tax? And Jesus said, go and uh, cast a hook into the water and catch a fish and open the fish's mouth, and there will be a coin in there, and you can take that and pay the tax. Again, the circumstances was that there was a need, there was a specific need, there was a tax to be paid, it was for a certain amount, 
And the Lord provided just what was needed, though in this very unusual way. But the Lord answers prayers in all kinds of ways. But the point is that Peter got the tax money and was able to take it and pay the tax that was required. Then there was uh, the day that uh, Lazarus died. And I suppose it's more correct to say that uh, some days following uh, Lazarus' death, that uh, Jesus came to Bethany and to Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus. And Martha was talking to him. And uh, she said to him, uh, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she says, Even now I know that whatever you ask God for, He'll give you. And uh, Jesus said, uh, what do you want? And, and again, I'm paraphrasing here. And she said, of course, I want my brother to rise from the dead. And Jesus says, uh, he will rise from the dead. And she says, well, I know he'll rise at the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and, and believes in me shall never die. And uh, not only do you have to wait for the resurrection of the last day, but you can ask this amazing, unusual thing, and I will do it. Now, that was a certain set of circumstances. We're not going to go out to the cemetery today and say, Lord, raise up my, uh, my brother, my husband, my children, whatever. The circumstances are different. But you see that it's promised in the Bible in a, in a certain context, and you can ask the Lord for something that makes sense. Not something nonsensical, but something that makes sense. Something you know. Martha knew the promise of the resurrection at the last day. But she also knew that Jesus had unusual, miraculous powers and she could go to Him in that regard. Always keep in mind the circumstances. But it is written. In other words, it's in the Bible. I've given you three examples here. man crying for mercy, the need for a certain amount of money, uh, the need for a, a brother to be restored to life. And within those circumstances, the Lord did provide. Overall, my point to here, first of all, is that the Bible is our prayer guide. You go to the Lord, you go to Him in the light of what is written, and if it's a promise, and if that promise fits the circumstances, you will have what you ask for. And that's the great thing about prayer that you don't just have to grasp things out of the air, but you can find it in the Bible and then bring it before the Lord. So that's our first point. Things that are written affect, influence, guide us in our prayers. Secondly, we have this phrase that you find in verse 14, that we have confidence in His will. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, According to His will, He hears us. Now, to a certain extent, that applies to what we just said. Whenever we, we ask God for anything, it has to be according to His will. But how do you know what His will is? Well, 99% of everything about the will of God you find in the Bible. There's some things that are secret to us. We don't know exactly what everything God has determined is, but we know a lot because we have the Bible. And so... We, uh, we look at the Bible as the book of God's revealed will. If we ask anything according to His will, He will give it to us. And so we have confidence then, which amounts to faith. If you believe, 
And Jesus said to the man whose son was throwing himself in the fire, who's sort of having an epileptic seizure, he says, If you believe, all things are possible. And the poor man said, Well, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that's the situation for, for most of us. But when we're talking about having confidence in the will of God, we're saying we have confidence in what the Bible says, that we can believe what the Bible says and expect that God will grant us what we ask on that basis. Using the Bible, then, we have the confidence, first of all, that we know His will. What is the will of God? It's there written for us. We have that confidence. And we also know that what we're doing is right. We have confidence that in obeying the Word of God, that uh, the Lord will also answer us. There's a verse in Scripture that says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Not meaning that He can't hear in terms of getting the information, but meaning that He's not going to respond if we keep on sinning against Him. So that uh, we have confidence to know His will and to know that we're doing the right thing because we're seeking to live our lives according to the Word of God. And then, uh, where His will is known, and again, that's, that's from the Bible, we can be confident that it will be done. What do we pray in the, Lord's will, uh, in the Lord's prayer? We say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we can be confident that the Lord's will is going to be done. And that's wonderful because that will, that purpose, has been established even before the foundation of the world. It's established with our prayers in mind. It's established that God might answer our prayers, but we can be confident that God will not say, I changed my mind. Or I set forth something as my will, but now I've made a different will. No, it's what God has set forth and we can be confident that it will be done. And uh, as then it comes to pass, in other words, as the will of God is done, as we see it unfold before us, our confidence in the Bible, our confidence in God does what? It grows. It becomes deeper. It becomes more solid. We become more and more reliable upon the Scriptures to know what we should ask for, what the circumstances are that make sense, what God would have us to do with regard especially to others in the church around us because that's a large part of what John is saying here. It comes to, when it comes to pass, when the will of God begins to, to be seen, to, to work, to unfold in our lives, then we grow in Him. We grow in our confidence as regards to what He says. And then that confidence... And there's a kind of a step up here. Our, our confidence becomes boldness. We're bold to ask for anything. And notice how in the passage here he says, you can ask for anything. We know that whatever we ask for, He will do it. There's a certain boldness connected with it. And uh, the, the bolder we are in our prayers, and then following that, the boldness that we know that God is going to give us what we ask for. It enables things to get done. It enables things to impact the world. Confidence becomes boldness to ask for anything that the Bible allows. Anything that's clearly the will of God, we can ask for it. So, if we need mercy, boldly ask for mercy. If you need money, boldly ask for money. If you need some 
thing that would seem to the world to be miraculous, then go ahead and ask for it. The Lord might say, sometimes says, often says, no, it doesn't fit the circumstances, not quite uh, what I want to do, but you can ask for it. Boldly ask for it. And you can believe that uh, the Lord will do it in one way or another if it's something that's for His glory and that's, that it's important. So, we have the things written. The things written are the will of God and we're to pray as we know the will of God as revealed in the Scriptures. Don't uh, say, God, give me something that Your Word says is sinful. God's not going to, to go along with that. That's not the will of God. So don't say, I don't like my husband, I don't like my wife, give me another one. Say, you know, Lord, help me to live with the one You gave me, help me to love Him more, help me to be what You want. That's Your will. And that's the kind of prayer you should offer as over against, no, I don't like this, give me something else. Okay, so you have the things written, you have the confidence in the will of God that turns into boldness to ask God for anything that His Word allows. And that brings us to having whatever we ask. But notice that, that I've expanded that just a little bit to say having whatever we ask also means having what God wants us to have. And really that should be how we, we start off any prayer that we have. Lord, I want what You want. I want to yield to Your will. I don't want to fight against You. There are things I don't understand. Sometimes I'm going to argue with You. Sometimes I'm going... Uh, to, to plead in my distress before You, but ultimately, Lord, I want to have what You want me to have. Therefore, boldness does not mean that we get everything that we want. It does mean that we will get everything that God wants. And the Bible says that God wants us to have the desires of our hearts. The Bible says that God wants us to have righteousness. The Bible says that God wants us to love one another. The Bible says that God wants us to glorify Him. All of those things the Lord will freely and, and gladly give to us because it's what He wants us to have. So before we start our prayers, before we get involved even in what is written and, and show our confidence in His will, we need to search the Scriptures to see what things God wants and whether our wants and His wants line up together. Only Jesus prayed the perfect prayer. Of all the people who ever lived in all of history on the face of the earth, the only person that prayed a perfect prayer was the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did He pray? Not My will, but Thy will be done. He wanted His will and God's will to line up. Of course, they were perfectly lined up. But for our sakes, for the sake of those who are listening to Jesus pray, He says, your will is what prayer is all about. Your will, having what you want, is where I want my life to be. Now we must be careful in our prayers that we don't demand things as though we're owed them. Well, God, You owe me more money, or you owe me more children, or you owe me a better relationship with this or that, or you owe me a better job. God doesn't owe you anything. Okay, You can't go before God in prayer and say, I demand this. Uh, I saw it in your Word. I saw that somebody had a good position. I saw that somebody 
had uh, all the, the wealth that they could, could use in there. I want it too. You can't go before God like that. You have to go before Him and say, Lord, I'm not demanding anything. It just seems to me in the light of Your Word and, and my commitment to that Word and my commitment to Your Savior, I believe You would like me to do certain things. But Your will be done. Not will I will be done. Be careful that you don't demand things that you think you are somehow owed by God. The only thing we're owed by God is His wrath, His destruction. That's what we're owed, if you will. But God is merciful. And God has given us this privilege of coming before Him and saying, though I know, Lord, I deserve death and destruction, please have mercy. Please grant me these requests. The healing, the strengthening, the provision, whatever it is. Lord, Your humble and undeserving servant asks You, please, please help me. Whatever we get from Him is not ours. How do you like that? Whatever we get from Him, we can't say it's mine. It all belongs to Him. It all belongs to Him. Whatever we ask is what God wants us to have and what He wants us to have is something that's already His. And He's not releasing it except to say you take care of this and you use it in the best way. If it's good health, you use your good health in the best way. If it's money, you use that money for My glory. Whatever it is, it's His and it should be only for His glory. It's important to know that God is always listening to us. There's never a time that we think, well, God's not listening. You know, when Elijah was on the mountain with the servants of Baal and the fire didn't come down and consume their sacrifice... Uh, he uh, Elijah mocked these prophets and he said, maybe God's asleep. Maybe He's gone off. And the Bible says that's not really the way God is. God, the true God, not these false gods that the, the Baal worshippers were following. He says, our God is always listening. You don't have to worry that He's gone to sleep. Uh, Psalm 121 says, He neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is always listening and, and this is it, where, where His people are concerned, where those of us who believe in Him and believe in His Word are concerned, He has what we would call a ready mind. Somebody says God, God is always more willing to, to give than we're willing to ask. God is listening and God is of a ready mind. When you go to God in prayer, you don't say, I've got to persuade God. I know He's not interested, but I've got to persuade Him somehow. That's not the way it works. God is listening and He's of a ready mind to give you whatever you ask for. If you ask according to His will, that is out of the Scriptures, if you ask in confidence and boldness, if your life matches up to the, the things revealed in Scripture and if it matches up to His will, as we said, Jesus' will, and His will, God's will, His Father's will matched up, then God is ready to give you what you're asking for. Alright, fourthly, Asking grace for sinners. All this uh, that we've been talking about here, we've covered a lot of territory, personal needs, and various things, but getting more specifically into what John is talking about here is there are Christians who need help. They need especially help 
in trying to deal with sins that are so easily attached to us for one reason or another. So that the, the preeminent prayer is the prayer for life. And he, he says here, when, when you pray, you're asking for life. Life for those who are, in other words, not living the fullness of life. You're asking for their sake. Asking that God would grant them help. So we ought to pray, yes, for the unsaved people, that they would come to know the Lord. But again, more to John's point, because we're supposed to love one another, we're hoping that uh, Christians will find deliverance from sin that they may have fallen into. They need to be forgiven. They need to be restored. And, and that's, I think, the main thrust of what John is saying here. But go back to the unsaved for a moment. They're not yet brothers and sisters, but you can look upon them that way. Here's an unsaved friend. Here's a co-worker. Here's somebody that lives in the same building. They're not believers, but I'd like them to be. I'd like this woman to be my sister. I'd like this fellow to be my brother in Christ. And you can ask for that. And you can pray for that. And then, again, those who are believers, we're not sinless, we're not perfect, so we pray that the Lord would bring forgiveness and restoration for all who are caught up in sin in that way. Now, and now we're getting toward this, uh, this last point, but leading up to it. He says, we know that the Lord is ready to forgive all sins of believers. You say, how do you know that? Well, I'm reading from Psalm 103, verse 3, who pardons all your iniquities. Uh, Matthew 12, 31, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be, given, shall be forgiven people. Any sin. Now he goes on to say that there is an exception to that. We'll come to that. But the point is that uh, for us believers, there's no sin that can't be forgiven by which we can't be restored. He says that uh, all wrongdoing is sin. In other words, all sin deserves the wrath and curse of God. But although all sins have a deadly quality to them, not all bring condemnation. All can be forgiven if people will confess their sins, look to Christ, for forgiveness of their sins, have that deep desire not to sin against the Lord. So we ask for grace for sinners. Then we come to this strange part of the passage where he says, and this is in verse 16, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. And we kind of draw back and we scratch our heads and say, well, what in the world is John driving at there? I thought all sins could be forgiven. I think it's pretty clear that uh, the recipients of this letter, they got what he was talking about. And our problem is, we didn't live back then and they didn't write us any special uh, instructions, so we don't exactly know what John was talking about there. We just have to admit that. So anything I say this morning is just my opinion, okay? But uh, I, th I think I'm on the right track anyway. The strange exemption here. In other words, I, I, I don't say that you should pray for the sin that leads to death. 
Well, in my view, that's apostasy. Apostasy. This is the only sin that you can readily identify as a betrayal of the Lord. And I'll give you a couple examples. Let's say Judas Iscariot. Judas professed to be a disciple of Jesus. He professed to follow Jesus, and yet he betrayed Him, turned his back on Him. You can look at Judas and say, this man committed a very heinous sin. And I think that was a sin that led to death. It led to his own death, obviously, because he killed himself. And uh, if he's talking about eternal death, then that's, that's a death that's irreversible. In other words, that's a, a sin that, that was not going to be taken away. But let me read you also this verse from Hebrews 6. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Now, already in 1 John, we've seen this already, he says there's some people that have left us, gone out from us. And he says, really, they were never a part of us. They just gave that appearance for a while, and then it became obvious that they weren't of us. Now, there are generally three, three views about how you take this, uh, this verse 16, the last part of it. One is that uh, some, some Christians get so deeply involved in sin that the Lord says, okay, I've had enough of that, and I'll just take you to heaven right away. And then there's another view that says uh, this is the unforgivable sin of, for example, Matthew 31, where he says all sins will be forgiven except the sin against the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's a lot of debate about exactly what that is, but generally understood to be persistent rejection of the Gospel. Okay, And then there's this matter of apostasy. Of these three that I've given to you, only apostasy is one that you can really see. Because you can't look at me and say, uh, you're, you're, you've committed a sin unto death, the Lord's going to take you any moment. You just can't do it. I can't do that. You can't do that. You can't see that. Okay? But he says, if you see somebody sinning. Okay? So there's something about being observable here. And then there's the, the uh, unforgivable sin, but you don't know that either. I, I can say, well, Willie there, he committed the unforgivable sin, but how do I know that? Only God knows that. Okay? You can't really tell that. What you can tell is if somebody says, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and then they turn on Christ, depart, as John said earlier, and become uh, apostates and, and opponents of the Lord. You can see that. Now, it's the only thing you can really see and observe. And John says, I'm, I'm not saying to pray about that. He says, I'm telling you that... Uh, you should treat those people as, as, as those who have, have given up their opportunity for salvation. Now notice that John doesn't say, never pray for them. He, never, he doesn't say that here. He just says, I do not say that you should pray about that. So there's a little wiggle room there. You can still pray. But the chances are, just as Hebrews 6 says, that having professed Christ, having 
said, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of God, and it turned against that, that uh, it's likely this is what John means when he says, I don't think you should pray about that. In other words, uh, find a way to excuse them for what they've done. God can do that if He wishes. He has the last word in everything. But He's just saying here, concentrate your prayers on believers who are struggling with sin, who, who can't give up uh, drunkenness, or who can't give up uh, sex that's out of marriage, or something like that. He says, pray for those people. Pray they can be restored. Pray that they'll come back to the Lord. But those people who, who are purposefully and uh, intensely rejecting Christ and, and have uh, turned their backs on what they said that they believed, he says, it's hard for me to accept that they're ever going to be right with God. So I think that's what he means about something he recommends not to be praying for. And I, that's about all I can tell you. That's where we have to just uh, say that's in the Lord's hands. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray today that uh, You will help us to be faithful in prayer according to what's written in the Word of God, to have confidence and boldness about it, to ask only, Lord, that we have what You want us to have. We pray that uh, You will make us especially sensitive to the need of other believers who need Your grace and help to get through whatever difficulty they're having. And Lord, even though uh, it's not so much that, that we should pray about apostates. We do pray that there will be fewer of them and that the, those who are on the verge of taking up the position of Judas Iscariot or uh, some situation like that, that they would turn back from that before it's too late. Only you know when it's too late. Only you know when the line is crossed. But Lord, uh, we do care about what people are doing. And we lift all this up to you now. In Jesus' name, Amen.